Happy New Year. Tell you what, I've never been so excited for school to start. Marquette got two full weeks this, this year. It's awesome. It is great. Well, we're starting a new series today. I'm really excited about it. It's called In the Wilderness. And uh, over the month of January, we're going to share different wilderness experiences from Scripture throughout the month and what we can learn in our lives from those passages of Scripture. You may not realize it, but over 300 times in the Bible, it mentions the word wilderness. Now, it may be a different word in English, but they, they relate back and they all mean the same thing. But the definition of wilderness is something that's inhospitable or, or an uncultivated region. It's uninhabited or it's desolate. It's a, it's a desolate tract of wasteland. Uh, and symbolically, it represents a place of disfavor. I want you to remember that. It, it represents a place of disfavor. There are several Hebrew words that, that translate into wilderness. Um, not that we need any Hebrew lessons, but, but those you know, inhabited land, desert, land that lies waste, land without water, those we translate all of those from the Hebrew into the idea or the concept of wilderness. And today I want to begin this series about talking about somebody who is extremely familiar with the idea of wilderness and, and wilderness experience and living in the wilderness. In fact, of his 120 years on this earth, he spent 80 of them in the wilderness. That's a lot of time in the wilderness. His first 40 years in his life, he spent growing up in the lap of luxury uh, you know, I'm all about living, you know, that'd be great, you know, but 40 years, that's what he got, lap of luxury. He was Pharaoh's son, or grandson rather, grew up right in Egypt and, and was Pharaoh's daughter. 40 years, had the best that the world had to offer. His next 40 years, he spent tending sheep in the wilderness, and his final 40 years, he spent leading several hundred of his fellow Hebrews in the wilderness, seemingly in a circular pattern, just doing laps around the desert. At age 80. Now, Harv, I know you're, you're 80, right? You're, you're over it. How old are you? 87. Harv is 87. Let's hear it for Harv. <clears throat> He's done more, uh, more than most of us. I'll tell you what, right there. Harv... Harv, imagine, imagine living in the desert, you know, figuratively and literally for 80 of those 87 years. And that's when you finally get that experience with God that you've been, you've been hoping for in your life. But that's when he had his experience with God that changed his life. Now, most of us, when we think about living in the wilderness or living in the desert, we think about it as a negative experience. I'm not talking about in the desert of Arizona because right now I would take the desert of Arizona, okay? You know what I'm saying? Just for some sunshine. I would take that for an hour or two um, and then my head would get burnt and then I'd want to come home. We think about it as a negative experience, but for this man, Moses, 
The wilderness was a place of the miraculous. It was a place of meeting with God and talking with God, not once, but time after time after time. So I want to take you to Exodus chapter 3, where we read about this experience, 80 years old, where he met with God and what happened in his life. Exodus chapter 3, beginning at verse number 1. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now, it says angel of the Lord. We think of, we think of, of angelic beings. This is God appearing to him. Uh, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So Moses encountered a bush that wouldn't burn. You know, fire needs three things in order to burn. It needs oxygen, it needs fuel, and it needs heat. Now, a number of years ago, I'd had uh, quite a few trees removed from, uh, from the place where our house was, and, and uh, the person who removed those trees, they pile them all up into a, a, quite a huge pile, probably 8 or 10 feet high, maybe 8 or 10 feet wide, and maybe 12 to 15 feet long. It was a huge pile of the tops of those trees, and it really bugged me. Okay, it sat out there day after day, month after month. And after a a year or two, I was so tired of that pile of brush, you know, being able to see it. And I wanted it gone. So I decided that I would go out there one day in March and that I was going to get rid of this pile of brush. Okay, and so I took a match with me. And there was still snow on the ground, quite a bit of snow, and I thought, this is, this is perfect, you know? You know, you got to check in with the DNR and all that stuff, and there's snow on the ground, and everything's safe, and I put a match to that pile, and within a couple minutes, I had a bonfire. I had a bonfire that was reaching 20 feet in the air. I'm not, I'm not joking. I'm, I'm being serious. I was actually afraid. You see, I'm too small to go to prison, okay? <laughs> I'm too small. And, and so I was, I was really worried. I had an experience with God right there, you know, as I'm, I'm, I almost dropped to my knees in the snow. I'm, I'm literally, I'm saying, Lord, please, pl- I don't, don't let me kill anybody and don't let me go to prison. That, that was my prayer. And, and I could not even get close enough to it to get water from the hose because it was so hot, I couldn't get that close to it. 
It was, it was unbelievable. And, and I think of it, it just, it had a life of its own. I mean, to tell you when the wind would just turn a little bit, that thing would dance and just, it was incredible. It was like it was alive. And it was the most, the, the most incredible, scary, marvelous fire that I've ever seen in my life. But yet I was, I was really worried because if this thing got out of control, I was, I was going to be in big trouble. But imagine, imagine how, what my shock would be if I was looking at that pile and none of it was actually burning. I could tell this was burning. It was popping. It was crackling. That, the, 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 the thinner stuff, I mean, it was just gone. It was just being consumed. But imagine if, if none of it was actually burning. And then imagine the voice of God coming out of that that fire, that would, that would scare you to death. That would be an incredible thought to, to even happen at all. But I want to look at something because you and I, we, we can look at the scripture and we can see the experience that Moses had and we can learn from, from the fire that he saw that, that did not wind up actually burning the bush that, that it was in and there are some things that you and I can learn from Moses' experience in the wilderness up to and even beyond his 80 years. And the first thing that I want you to know is this. When we look at the life of Moses is that everybody has a history. Can you identify with that? Everybody's got a history. Everybody's got a story. And your story is unique. Your story is different. It's like no one else's. And some of you, it's, it's shall we say, colorful enough that you don't want other people to know what it is. In fact, you've intentionally not shared your story with other people because it's so colorful or so checkered. We all have a history, each and every one of us. Now, when we, when we look at the life of Moses, Moses, the, the, the scholars tell us, was he lived somewhere between 1,300 and 1,600 years before Christ. And we look in the first couple of chapters of Exodus, we see the conditions that surround his birth. But just for a, 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 just a, a brief snippet of history, it was some point after Joseph's death that Pharaoh began to enslave the Hebrews. And at some point, he enslaved them specifically to make bricks to, to fuel this, this industry, this building industry in the nation of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took another step. He attempted to kill every male child that was born in Egypt by the Hebrews because he wanted to keep them under control. They, even despite their, their being enslaved, they were growing, their numbers were growing, and he wanted to keep it under control. And so he tried to kill all of the male children that were born. Well, Moses was born at this time to Hebrew parents. And after his birth, his parents decided, we're going to try and hide this child. And they were successful for several months. 
But then I can imagine the pressure got, uh, just got immense. The, the sound of a crying baby could only be hid for so long. They, they probably tried everything possible, and they just weren't able to contain it. And so they decided to do something radical. They decided to do something rash. They, they took a basket of reeds that, that was fashioned, and, and it was, it was a, a pitch was applied to the outside so that it would, it would be buoyant and it would stay above the water. And they took that little baby, and they placed him in that basket, and they set it afloat in the Nile River. I, I can't imagine doing that because that's your best option. But Moses' older sister Miriam was in a place where she could observe the basket, fearful of what might happen to it. But as God would have it, the daughter of Pharaoh was going into the Nile that day and she saw the basket and took the basket and she raised that child. She literally called that child her son. And so for Moses' early years, his first 40 years, he was raised in Pharaoh's court. He was a member of Pharaoh's family. But yet he knew that he was a Hebrew. And the scripture tells us that he knew that he was a Hebrew. And so he's going along. He's 40 years old. He's Pharaoh's uh, grandson, the daughter of Pharaoh's son. And he knows that his people are enslaved and he's going around checking things out. And he sees an Egyptian taskmaster beating a Hebrew slave. And Moses looks to his left. He looks to his right. He sees that no one is looking and he kills the Egyptian. And the Bible says that he, he hides the body in the sand, thinking that no one had seen him. And within a very short time later, he's out again, seeing how things are going. And he sees this time two Hebrews are fighting and Moses decides to step in and, and he knows that he's a Hebrew. I don't know if he let them know, but, but he said, Hey guys, don't, don't fight amongst yourselves. And one of them said, what are you going to do? You're going to kill us like you did the Egyptian taskmaster. And then all of a sudden Moses knew that he had been found out. Imagine the panic. In fact, the Bible says that from that point forward, Pharaoh not only found out, but Pharaoh tried to kill him. So Moses did the only thing that he thought he could do, and that is that he began to run, which brings him to a place called Midian, where he rose to the exclusive rank of shepherd. And he spent 40 years in the wilderness. Now, every one of us has a history. We have a personal story. We have life events. We have circumstances. And for some of us, we feel like that's something that we've been carrying along no matter where we go. And for some of us, it feels like it's baggage that we would love to cut loose. We'd love to be able to get rid of it. It might be broken relationships. It might be addiction. It might be financial ruin. It could be abuse in your life. Maybe it's some form of legal entanglement. Maybe it's just you're, you're just running, period. Maybe Marquette is your Midian. 
because you want to run away from the experiences of your past. And when we get together like this, and when we worship together, and when we lift up the Lord together, you're glad that people really don't know your past. Because if they did, you're worried that they wouldn't accept you. Maybe you're worried that, that if they even knew you're, you're here and now, what's, what's really happening right now in your life, that they wouldn't accept you, that they wouldn't care about you. Matthew chapter 10, verses 29 to 31 says this. These are Jesus' words. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Now, for people like myself and people like Brian, uh, we, you know, it doesn't take God much to count our hair, okay? It's like, move on by. Um, you know, because we, we just, we don't have any, all right? But I want you to think about that. You, you think that people can't forgive you. You think that you can't find God, and yet God says, Jesus literally said that you are worth more to God than many sparrows, and not a single sparrow falls to the ground apart from his attention, that he knows the very number of the hairs on your head. He loves you, and he is that attentive to you and to your circumstance. That is amazing to me, that God knows me, that God cares for me that much, that he knows you despite our past, despite our circumstances, even though everyone has a history, God knows every detail of that history and, are you with me? And, not but, and, number two, God knows precisely where you are. I'm sure that Moses wondered if God knew where he really was. Out in, out in the, the, the wilderness of Midian, I'm sure that he wondered, did God really even know where he was? I want you to know today that God knows precisely where you are. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever lost something that was important to you? Have you ever lost something that maybe was even sentimental? That, that's hard when that happens. A few years ago, I was on a hunting trip. I won't out the person that I was hunting with, but we were goose hunting uh, downstate. And, and midway through the, the, the trip, we were hunting several days, um, this, uh, this gentleman said, I can't find my wedding ring. Now, Andy was a newlywed. <laughs> So for me, my wife would go, well, that's not that big of a deal. And, and, but, but he was, I mean, he was panicked. And so we, we had to kind of do some backtracking in our minds and we found, you know, we, we were pretty sure that we, we, that was lost the first time that we set up our decoys and set up our blinds. And so we went back to that place and, and we gave it a really good scouring. I mean, we looked, you know, and we looked and we looked and we could not find it. And the rest of the time, 
on his mind, he's got this, this sense of, I lost my ring, and I'm going to have to tell my wife that I lost it, and she's going to say, do you really even care about me that you would lose something like that? Is our commitment so meaningless to you? Uh, and so before we left, uh, we were just getting, you know, it was the last day that we were hunting, and I, I said, hey, let's just, let's just take one more shot at it, okay? And so we kind of laid out a search grid. We said it's got to be some Somewhere between here, 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 and here, and we're gonna get, we literally got on our hands and knees. And we were in a cornfield, and you know how after the corn is harvested, it, it's all compacted onto the ground, and it's it's wet, and it's just it's not fun, okay? And we're on our knees, going through every row, moving every leaf, every stalk, everything. We're 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 moving it all aside. You finish one row, you turn around, you come back, and we were we we had gotten done with 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 our rows. I mean, we were just at the 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 absolute tail end we had finished I was just ready to stand up and call it quits and there it was the farmer had even offered to send somebody with a with a, a metal detector you know to look for but we were so relieved and I think he was relieved because either he had already called his wife and told her he lost it and now he got to call her back again and or or we just we were looking because we wanted to be able to say hey we really gave it uh, a serious serious try well we when we look at Moses, his life, he tried hard to get lost. He wanted to get away. He wanted to be that lost thing that could not be found. Why? Because, because uh, in Egypt, he had made a mess of things. And literally, Pharaoh was trying to take his life. So he th he's thinking, where can I go? Now, if you're a Hebrew, there's a place that you might say you would go. And it's 235 miles away from where Moses was. And it's called the land of Canaan. And it is where uh, the, the people of Israel came from Joseph's family into the land of Egypt, into Goshen, where they lived. But the problem is that that was under the control of Egypt. And so Pharaoh could still get at him there. So Moses decided, rather than go that direction... I'm going to go to the east, and I'm going to go 285 miles to the land of Midian. And the land of Midian is located east and south, and it just goes beyond the two fingers of the Mediterranean Sea, the northernmost fingers of the Mediterranean Sea, and guess what? It's just outside the control of Egypt and the control of Pharaoh. Moses wanted to get as far away from his circumstance as he possibly could. Think about it. If he walked 20 miles a day, 20 miles a day, how many days that would take him to get there? It would take over two weeks of walking 20 miles a day. Listen. I don't care what your past has been like. I don't care how far you tried to get away from your past. You cannot get away from God. You cannot hide successfully from him. He's not wondering right now, well, I wonder where they are. I wonder where Chuck is right now. 
God is not wondering that God knows where you are. David said in Psalm 139, verses 7 and 8, he said, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. This was written by David when he was under a cloud of false accusation. And he realized that God was anywhere. He could try to run, and he was running from Saul. He was doing all sorts, but he knew that God could find him wherever he was. I want you to know that God knows where you are. This verse from Psalm 139, verse 16, meant a lot to me at my mom's funeral uh, several years ago. All the days uh, ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That's the same for you and I, that our days that, that we live on this earth, they are all written in God's book. He knows us that well. We cannot get away from his care or his concern. No matter how long we've been in the wilderness, no matter how long we've been away from civilization, no matter how long we feel like we've been away from God, God knows exactly where you are. And thirdly, God has the ability, and only God can do this, but he has the ability to make the ground that you stand upon holy ground. That's what happened to Moses Remember, God said to him, Moses, take off your sandals. Don't come any further because the ground that you're standing on right now is holy ground. Only God can do that. Only God, after you have been running for 40 years, only God can say, you know what? I found you and the place where you're standing right now is the place you need to be and it's holy ground. Think about that. On the backside of the desert with nothing but sheep around him. It's easy to think that because we're in a wilderness experience or a desert experience in our life, because of maybe something that we've done or something that's been done to us, it's easy to think that, that, we, that we're there because of, of a bad thing or a, excuse me, a negative thing. And Moses totally had a sketchy past. The guy committed murder, okay? That's, he's got a sketchy past. Moses was not, he was not a saint anymore, okay? The first 40 years of his life ended with that experience, and now he's been running from it ever since. And we think that the wilderness is punishment. I mean, remember the definition, right? It's inhospitable and uncultivated region, uninhabited or desolate tract of wasteland. Symbolically, it represents a place of disfavor. And we see ourselves in a place of being in the wilderness. And we say it's because God isn't happy with me. God is mad at me. I've done something in my past to deserve this, I'm being punished. Maybe you don't, maybe you don't even associate it with, with something in your past. Maybe it's the here and the now that I'm just so far away from him that there's no way that he could ever reach me. Well, I want you to know that not only does he know where you are, he can literally make the ground that you're standing on right now holy ground. Maybe you're you're in the wilderness in your life right now. 
This past fall in October, I was at a silent prayer retreat and our retreat director, Pastor Pete Fisher, said this. The wilderness is not an experiment to test how strong and resilient you are. A lot of us think that. This is just a test to see if I can handle it. It's not a test to see how resilient you are. It's to find out how faithful God is. So the wilderness that you might feel like you're in is not to test you. It's to test God. Show how faithful he is. The wilderness is not, is not a place where God punishes us. For Moses, it was literally a place where God was preparing him. You see, from, from 41 to 80, he was leading sheep. But from 81 to 120, he was leading millions of people. And that period in between there, that, that where he was leading sheep, God was preparing him for what was ahead. And if you find yourself in a wilderness time, God may be preparing you for something that is yet to come to carry out the call that God has placed on your life. And God knows how to make the ground that you feel is so desolate, that is so uninhabitable, God knows how to turn that ground into holy ground and to meet with you and to speak with you. Now, I realize that you may have family and friends that they'll never forget your past. They'll never forget the things that you've done. They'll never forget the mistakes that you made, the failures that you've made. But I want you to know that that is not who God is. That might be who our family is. It might be who our friends are. <clears throat> but it's not who God is. The Bible says that God not only forgives but he takes our failures and our sin and he drops them in the deepest sea. He separates us from them as far as the east is from the west. God loves us and he forgives our sin and he forgets our failures. God can make the ground that you stand on holy ground. He knows your history. He knows where you are. And he wants to give you that holy ground experience. 